This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,555, recorded July 24th, 2000. Okay, here's what I wrote. One man had monkeys who came into his house, which he hated. He would constantly shoo them out, but no matter what he did, nor the threats he made, as soon as his attention was turned elsewhere... The monkeys would be right back. He eventually discovered a new tact. He began to pretend that he enjoyed having the monkeys there. And his brother asked him if doing this stopped the monkeys from coming into his house. The man appeared to ponder the question for several moments before responding. Quote, I don't really want to say that doing this either keeps them out or doesn't keep them out. But what I will tell you is that the problem, as I saw it, has ceased to be. This statement baffled his brother, but it gets even better. The solution to all troublesome human conditions is to be neither bothered by them nor to pretend not to be. Consider there are two salient characteristics of man's instincts. They neither have problems nor do they speak. I wonder, could there be an enlightening connection between the two? If you notice, based upon what I've been speaking of recently, when I say instincts, I'm referring to that model of man having an instinctive mind up to the old reptilian brainstem, and then the new conscious mind that thinks and speaks so this last part so that you i'm sure that you had a chance to get it it says consider there are two outstanding characteristics of man's instinctive mind it neither has problems nor does it speak then ask you to consider could there be any possibility between those two things Nah. Nah. Plus, does everyone still get it from the last week or so of my talk? Do you understand what I mean to point out? You can surely see it. But then instinctively, we have no problems. Any creature only at the instinctive level, anything just up to the reptilian brain level, even the mammalian brains. Actually, but at any rate, all other creatures operating strictly by instinct, they do not even have the illusion of choice. Does everyone understand what I mean from your own view? That instinctively, no one has a problem unless you consider death a problem. But instinctively, our instincts have no problem. Instinctively, we get hungry, but that's not a problem. That's not, what I, that's not what humans, now I know that an ordinary person might say, well, it is a problem. No, it's not a problem. That is not what humans mean. Humans do not equate ordinary intelligent people, the six billion other people on this planet. They do not equate hunger. Hunger is not a problem in the sense that shyness is a problem, that depression is a problem. That aggression is a problem. 
See, all those other things I mentioned come from man's conscious mind. If you do not have consciousness, you do not have such problems. You must be conscious to have the problem of greed, envy, sloth, if that is a problem. I don't know how they ever slipped that in as a problem. They, I know they didn't check with Buddha on that. Sloth seems like an attribute of being enlightened to me, but never mind. What do I know? At any rate, the things that humans call problems, I assume you see they're not on the same level as hunger or being cold, being sexually aroused. But they are not a problem because if you're hungry, nobody thinks about it as a problem. It's not that, my God, I'm hungry. I need to see a psychiatrist. Or, I'm hungry. I should call my mother. I need counseling. It is not a problem. All instincts, if, if you're not going to die from whatever the instinctive need is at the moment, it is not a problem on the same level, in the same sense that all these human problems are problems. It is simply something that can be fixed easily. Hunger can be cured in just no time. All you got to do is step from here to the icebox. All it's going to take what? A couple of minutes. Oftentimes, just 30 or 40 seconds as soon as food hits the stomach. The action, the instinctive action of hunger, already knows that the problem, if you want to call it that, is being taken care of. At any rate, what I'm pointing out, that we have no instinctive problems. And I point out that two interesting characteristics in line with this is the fact that instinct, our instinctive mind, neither has problems nor something else. It doesn't have problems plus something else. It doesn't speak. And I ask you, just consider, could there be any connection between the two, which, of course, is ridiculous. I don't know why I bothered even stop and ask it. Back to the reading. A father suddenly leaked out from behind the door, surprising his son as he yelled, Quick! A pop quiz! If you use the mind to try and suppress thoughts, what do you get? And instantly the lad yelled back, Additional mental agitation! His father smiled broadly, then yelled, Okay then, what's the solution? I don't know, the boy yelled. Leastwise in my mind, I don't. And the old man's grin reached epic proportions. A young monk asked the head of the school, How are you able to tell if an applicant is suitable by talking to him for only a minute or so? And the elder replied, I ask him a question, and if he is here at the moment, he will answer immediately. But if he does not answer immediately, it means that he is not here at that moment. And if he is not here at that moment, he does not belong here at all. That's one of those I just wrote to irritate me, in case you didn't get a thing out of it. In a political contest between an incumbent and a challenger, their relative positions are reflected in the two slogans, Nothing Beats Experience and Time for a Change. Consider how this relates. Consider how this relates to the rule to the rule of rock climbing, being that you never let go of what you're holding to now until you're holding to something else, and how just the opposite controls if you're seeking to scale the wall of waking up. Yo, nothing beats experience. 
hey, time for a change. Don't waltz yourself into an impotent stupor, especially if you're just dancing with yourself. Oh, I know that doesn't apply to anyone. A boy said to his father, when I hear a lengthy, complex, and intelligent conversation between two people, I marvel at the fact that even though neither of them has planned or thought out what he will say, the conversation yet flows so smoothly and effortlessly between them that you would imagine otherwise. And the elder responded, You look at it too locally to understand what is going on. Step back and you'll realize that it is actually a flow taking place in life itself. Why? After suffering a personal tragedy, do otherwise reasonable people, when asked what their first thought was at the time, inevitably reply, I thought, why me? For what reason do they never think, why not me? Why should I expect to be exempt from the usual and inescapable consequences of being alive? Such does not simply represent reprehensible egotism, but rather verbally exemplifies the very unrealized operational organization of the homo sapien mind. As regards man, quote, we are what we are because we think so highly of what we are. And the reason we think so highly of what we are is because we can think. All conflicts perceived by man's mind have a single cause, false thinking. Consider that it is thinking in terms that are not true to reality that is the sole source of all the various forms of contention among men which are unique to man. If what you think and say does no more than tell the unadorned truth about the matter at hand, then you will not sleep nor ever be uncertain. Face it! Unless you willfully maintain a screening and ignoring and forgetting of stimuli that is totally irrelevant to the goal of awakening and freedom, you will forever remain asleep in captivity and illusionary captivity at that. There are two ways to experience head trauma. <laughs> Physically and otherwise. The otherwise to which I refer can be brought on, can only be brought on by one's own actions and cannot be diagnosed by another nor treated by anyone but the person themselves. Question one. Why would anyone cause head trauma to themselves? Question two. Where do you go learn how to do it? Least this momentarily frighten anyone, let me assure you that bringing on this otherwise type of head trauma is almost impossible to accomplish. Ah, well, so much for yet another easy way out. If talk can cure mental problems, then talk is the cause of mental problems. Headline as regards some men's concept of a certain unusual gold. 
Gold doesn't have a T. Show me a man who undertakes an impossible human goal, and I will show you a man who cannot win. Show me a man who does not undertake such a goal, and I'll show you a loser all the way down the line. Is that irritating enough for me to maybe comment on later or not? Or is that sufficiently irritating prima facie? Many of those wanting to get to the bottom of things believe that the way there too is through some type of doing. A fewer number believe that the way is through some kind of thinking. Both groups are incorrect, and both groups are correct, and both groups are altogether something else entirely. The trick is for you individually, in your thinking and in your doing, to become something else entirely other than correct or incorrect. If your mental train rides a track on which traffic can run one way one day and the other way the next day, your thinking is on the wrong track. As he would pursue, peruse, as he would peruse some writings regarding awakening, one man would periodically say to himself concerning the ideas therein, entertaining, but not useful. For he had begun to understand that when it comes to actually making the state of reality, making the state of awakening a reality, no additional information is useful. You just do it or you don't. Even though this be so, in fairness and truth I must add, hearing or reading about awakening from the mind of one who knows serves to shake our mind from its slumber and enthuse us with incitement in anticipation of the day when we shall join their ranks. The mind alone cannot awaken you, but without a mind that constantly fills itself with the thrilling and extraordinary ideas regarding the matter, what hope do you have? For a mind born to this business, all thoughts about enlightenment from the enlightened are both entertaining and useful, and are indeed a needed inner nourishment for which there is no substitute. A father told a son, if you stop spinning an egg and speculating on its contents, it will break open of its own accord and freely reveal itself to you. And the lad instantly suspected that the elder's comments had to do with abandoning the mind's spontaneous, ceaseless, and foolish analyzations of life and allowing the actions of life to speak directly for themselves, directly to your stilled and quieted mind. The difficulty in catching and understanding the song of a bird that flies by you is not due to the flight of the bird, but to the flight of your mind. If talk can cure humans' mental problems, then talk is also their cause. If a man would get thoroughly to the bottom of, this, of the question, quote, Who am I when my mind asks, Who am I? He would achieve everything enlightenment has to give. After experiencing unexpected additional enlightenment for the umpteenth time, one man now pictures his position in private eye terms as, quote, case solved, but I continue to look over the file 
for new clues to crimes I do not yet know exist. That was to have explained to some of you that wonder, how much further can it go? You can keep discovering clues, brand new clues to crimes that you, didn't, you don't even yet know have been committed. But there it is, a brand new clue. All you got to do is find the crime to go. <laughs> and finally, the headline, everything a real mystic needs to know about real mysticism. If it doesn't accomplish something, it's not mystical. News uh, from page six. All conflicts perceived by man's mind have a single cause, false thinking. Consider that as thinking in terms that are not true to reality is the source of all the various forms of contention among men which are unique to man. Uh, I don't recall ever putting it to you in these exact words. But just things go on continually in life. They're going on a large scale, the news, continuing conflicts. But in, in the civilized world, conflicts with, that apparently, for instance, are based upon religious beliefs. The troubles, as they call them, in Ireland. The endless troubles down around the subcontinent between the Hindus and the Muslims. And now I could go on and on, but you know them as well as I do. Go on uh, nationwide, religious-wise. It gets down to state-wise. It gets down to culture-wise. And then, of course, you've got it on the human, the individual level. But did you ever think? Uh, now, this is, I've always, to me, I've always liked, this means something to me, false thinking. Just the term itself wouldn't tell you much because... By that, I don't mean that you're believing in false things. I'm saying that just from an ordinary level, of course, ordinary people are not concerned about it, but just from an ordinary level, the kinds of contentions, the kind of conflicts I just mentioned, because it is certainly ordinary people who believe that they are Protestants in Ireland willing to die in opposition to the Catholics there. They are certainly ordinary people. That is certainly a first-class definition of being asleep, but they're simply ordinary. Because uh, there's very likely, since most of us are European stock, that you have relatives. You probably have cousins, some of you, in Ireland. And if you met them, they'd seem like reasonable people. I'm sure you'd sit around, you'd go, you'd hug them, they'd family, and then you find out they're going out that night and maybe shoot somebody. Because of the troubles. Because of the conflict. All right. It's false thinking. From an ordinary level. From an ordinary level. In the next part of it, let me read it again. I said, consider that. It is thinking in terms that are not true to reality. That is the sole source of all various forms of contention among men, which are unique to man. Now, of course, as always, life has this going on for reasons that I do not know. I can make interesting models out of it, and et cetera. So you understand, I have jumped in the middle again, and I am just making this up. Because anything I say is not the reason this is going on. Only life 
knows the reason this is going on. And some of you who are really getting a strong constitution, you're at least trying to get around yourself to just considering the possibility that even life doesn't know. Oh, I know. I know that upsets some people. It's like finding out maybe that you know, God has a bad memory. Not, that I like and have too much to drink at times. But at any rate, false thinking. And the reason I bring this up, even though I'm isolating reality, bringing down a universal to a local level, that's no way we can talk about it. Some of you might find this useful because it gets down to just a very, perhaps a more basic level than I have been talking about the last couple of years or months. It is not even using the mind at an ordinary level to the extent that an ordinary person can use it. It is false thinking. The only reason that two people, two groups of people, Jews and Muslims, Hindus and Muslims, whoever it is, Zoroastrians, I find there's some left. Of course, they, I find that they also believe it's them against everybody. So you don't have to just say Zoroastrians against Muslims. It's Zoroastrians against and then just blank. <laughs> Mostly volunteer fire departments. That's, I didn't know whether any of you would get that. <laughs> now we're getting letters from Zoroastrians. At any rate. All contentions that are unique to man. Now, remember, we're leaving out instinctive. We're not talking about two groups of people fighting over a water hole or fighting over a food source. We're talking about the problems that are unique to man. Two groups fighting over religion. It is caused, even at an ordinary level, by nothing other than false thinking. Now, of course, they do not look at it that way, and it wouldn't accomplish anything if I said that. But I repeat, if you will follow me for a second, because you know I'm not talking about religion. It's not the point. It is false thinking, and you don't even have to take it to a level of speculating on what it would be to have a more awakened mind or a more enlightened view of things. I am saying from the view, from the level that most people's mind can work. Ordinary reason and intelligence, the use of their language. All human, all unique human conflicts come from not using the conscious, the cortex, the conscious part of the brain, the mind. They all have one source. They can exist only in one way, and that is by false thinking. Now, again, I repeat, I don't mean that they're believing in something that one person's right or they're believing in something wrong, false thinking is thinking in a way that obviously does not reflect the reality of things. I say, we could have this picture. I'll still use Northern Ireland since it's in the news a lot, and I've seen, assume everyone's seen news clips, that here it is, people in the daytime that have jobs speak the king's English, Claim to be one group Protestants, one Catholics. They're there in Western Europe, as civilized as any group on the planet. But here it is, they show the films, and here it is, 
some bomb has just gone off, or they're having some conflict, some group wants to march, the Protestants or the Catholics. And that way you see snipers there in neighborhoods, and you find out that a child got shot today. Just all kinds of insanity over whether Protestants can march on Tuesday or Sunday or whether the Catholics have the right to run up a green flag. Just all kinds of stuff, and you hear it, and you know that they're ready to die for it. Now, they say they are, and people do die for it. Of course, those who die, they, you, know, you can't revive them and say, are you glad you died, by the way? You know, somebody gets shot, and later, well, like a Protestant gets shot, just, just say, and they give them a martyr's funeral and say, well, we knew uh, Billy Bob there real well, and we know that he was glad to die for the Protestant cause. <laughs> Notice they always say that, but nobody can you know, go up to Billy Bob and slap his corpse and say, wake up just for a minute, and he'll go, okay, what? And go, are you glad that you died for the cause? It's only at the eulogies that they're living, saying, I know I speak for Billy Bob. And I know that he is proud to have died in God's Protestant name. And suddenly people look over in the casket, and sure as hell, it looks like Billy Bob's lips just slightly turned off like, yes, I am. Back to the seriousness. Are you crazy? Right, back to the seriousness. At the ordinary level, anyway, picture the scene that they're out there fighting, snipers, snipers are going on, and you find several people's already been killed today. All right, if things calm down for a minute, or you got behind the barricades or with either group, it doesn't matter, the Protestants or the Catholics, and you went up to one of these guys, and if you started talking to him, if you begin to you know, calm down for a minute, have a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, and you started talking, I say that if, he, if you could calm him down and get him kind of out of that intellectual milieu for a second, for a few minutes, and you ask him questions, kind of the truly Socratic way of asking questions. If you could do it with no hostility, you could do it almost objectively, as cold-bloodedly as humanly possible. I say that the man's mind, you could make it, I could start making this up, but surely you can do it yourself. I could start doing the conversation but if you start asking him, why are you doing this? And at first, you know what humans do. He would give you, quote, the party line. If you'd say, why are you Protestants so mad at the Catholics, or vice versa, if he's a Catholic? They'd go, blah, 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 blah. You know, they've got an uh, undue amount of political power for the numbers of here, and, uh, you know, England should get out here and let us in, blah, blah. So you go, okay, okay. But let's get down to everyday affairs. And if you kept asking him, why are you out there with a rifle? Why do you encourage your brother, your kid brother, to have a gun and to shoot a Catholic or a Protestant? Why do you believe that's all right? What is it that they're actually... I say that everybody's ordinary mind would have the ability that they realize that what they're saying, that is, once you get them past just the mechanical and you say, why are you mad at the other side? They go, bye, 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 because they're a bunch of heathens. You're okay, okay. But if you get them past that and talk to them, I say that the ordinary mind of any of the people involved, most of the six million people on the planet under the right conditions, they know if you ask them a certain way, their mind can see that what it says about a certain situation, about which it's contentious, about which it is in conflict with some other group, they can see, they might not like it. And they may forget it just after a second, but I say that their mind can be made to see for a second that what they're saying is the reason. You get them down to them saying, all right, I'll give you my personal. 
view of why we have this conflict with the other side, with the Catholics or the Jews or whoever it is. And they can finally, it will hit them if it's done just right. If it was really one of the scenes out of Plato's Socratic dialogues, that they realize that what they just said does not match reality. There is no such thing as a human conflict, not just between groups, between individuals. For you to turn to somebody and say, you insulted me. I won't tell you we've been friends for years and now I don't think I can ever be friends with you because of what you said the other day. You hurt my feelings so bad. And when, you, when we were out there and we, people were discussing something and you pointed out that my view uh, was faulty. That you made fun of the view I expressed. I just, I can't stand that. Henceforth, we're no longer friends. Only thinking that does not match reality. And I say, I repeat again, there's a point to this. That's the main point I don't you miss. That I say that even a man, an ordinary man's ordinary mind can be made to see that. And something I'm getting into more Wednesday. I've been trying to hold off to Wednesday. But in a sense, everyone's mind knows it. That's one reason that human conflict, remember we're not talking about instinctive conflicts, fighting over food and territory, etc. We're talking about fighting over reputation, feelings, opinions fighting over things in the cultural world, which religion is right, blah, blah, blah. I say that one reason there is such of this discernible faux passion, I assume you know what I mean by now, that there is a passion. Well, ordinary people know this if they're not involved with it. That's why one group will label another group fanatic if they've got a passion about, if you, had heard of, if you were a Catholic and heard a Protestant minister who was very passionate, Extremely passionate in his, you know, sermon. And a Catholic heard it. I could ask him, doesn't that smell sort of funny? And the, the Catholic would say, yeah. You know, he's a fanatic. And I could say, I mean, it's overboard, isn't it? I mean, it's, it doesn't match reality. The way he's, you go, yeah. But you do understand, I could reverse it. It is simply when you are defending, when you're involved with a conflict that is in man's cultural world, my secondary reality, as I used to call it, but anything that is a product of the mind, for the conflict to arise, for the conflict to be sustained, both sides have to have an apparent passion about it, or there is no conflict, there is no contention. But if you are not part of it, surely you can know what I'm saying, and don't worry about, and don't, don't get entangled in your mind's own dismissal of them. But to hear, let's say the Protestants and the Catholics, or the Jews and the Muslims, or the Hindus and the Muslims, somebody that you don't have any interest in, and you hear, if, again, if, you, if your mind, if you can hold off making, letting your mind do instant judgments like, well, they're a bunch of idiots, who the hell cares? If you just stop and you listen, you can hear it emotionally. You can hear, let's say it's the Hindus and Muslims arguing, and when I'm here, state his position, and you listen to it, and you think, there is something phony baloney about that passion. I don't know what words you'd like. There is something pretentious. I say it is 
Well, all human emotion, in a sense, is faux emotion to me. Well, it is. Because all it is is the conscious mind's elaboration on instinct, some sort of disguise, some sort of rearrangement. But at any rate, the kind of fashion that really keeps a conflict going over cultural, over non-essential matters, the shamness, the, the falsity of the passion, if you're not involved, I say, is easily smelt, easily heard. They're too passionate. I don't know what I should tell you. I say that ordinary people, not just people involved with this, but I say ordinary people, if they're not involved, can feel it. That's one reason sometimes that two opposing sides will enter into arbitration. In our judicial system, in the international scene, sometimes two countries will pick out a third country. You know, if it's Muslims and Jews arguing, and Muslims and Hindus, they'll go get a Protestant you know, some diplomat from Sweden who maybe doesn't know beans about the Hindu culture or religion nor the Muslim. But he's an intelligent man and he's, you know, they'll pick out a third party who's disinterested. Now, they don't, they don't pick him out because he can hear the pretentiousness of it. But I'm saying life works in such a way that what I'm saying at times comes into play, but not for the reason that I'm saying or not for the reason I'm bringing it up to you. At any rate, back to what I was trying to point out, there is a very noxious, a very peculiar odor and sound that, that is always extant when people are defending their side in a cultural conflict. Again, I repeat, it's a conflict that is not based upon survival essentials. The reason that they must engaged in this pretentious, this overblown passion, is because it's all meaningless and it's based upon false thinking. If you belong to one religious group, one cultural group, and you find yourself caught up in the conflict of your group with an opposing group with a different religion, there is only one way that you can believe that. There's only one way that you can have the, quote, feeling of being caught up in it, of being a believer that our side is right and that side is wrong, and I'm prepared to stick with my side. We're right. There's only one way that that can happen is your thinking must be so faulty or faulty enough that it does not match the obvious reality of things. A person involved with that cannot stop and ask themselves, and when they're hearing one of their leaders, when somebody's saying, well, don't forget why we hate the other side, why we're opposing them, they say it. All right, for you to go along with it, for anybody to go along with it, they cannot stop and take what just was said and then simply turn and look at the reality. I'm talking about the physical reality of what's going on, of life, where they are. They cannot look at what is being said as the reason for the conflict and then just turn and just look at what's going on. They can't do that. Because they realize what's being said does not match reality. It never does. In any human conflict, it never matches. It is false thinking. Do you understand how much of the world runs off of these conflicts? From one view, you, you might think that the world runs off of commerce. That the world runs off of business. And you might even think, especially so now, if you follow 
kind of view that I have in mind that right now is so-called becoming like the one world, the one community. And that now trading goes on almost with every country in the world and much of it goes on instantly, electronically, whether the goods are delivered or not, uh, physically. But trading on the stock market, things go on from Tokyo instantly, from Tokyo to Rome in a split second, from Rio to Paris. Millions of dollars change hands in a split second all over the world and to the point now that people do not stop and go, wait a minute, uh, how many yen goes into a franc? It's done automatically. they got programs in the trading software. So at any rate, you, could, you might think, what makes the world, again, we're going past essential matters. People still must eat. People still must have room to live. But right now, there's no major wars going on. Unless things change drastically, at least in our lifetime, it appears that the day of the major, like the world wars, as they were called, looks like it's about over, at least during, for the rest of our lifetime. So there, people are not fighting major wars over territory, over foodstuffs, over food supplies. And so you could say, well, what is it that runs the cultural world? What is it that runs the world of man now? And you might want to say commerce, business. And I'm sure most sophisticated people nowadays, that that would be their answer. And I understand it. That's why I could bring it out. But I would put it to you another way. It's conflict. Not wars. Certainly not world wars. And right now, though, there's all these skirmishes going on. And like I was saying, the troubles in Northern Ireland. And there's skirmishes throughout the Middle East, South America, everywhere. There's little groups of people always fighting. But I'm not even talking about that. I say that it's conflict. I say without conflict, man's secondary world, the cultural world, would not exist. There could not be one religion. If we had one religion, we wouldn't have religion. There can't be one kind of music. If there was one kind of music, we wouldn't have music. There's got to be several kinds of music. There's got to be the music you like, whatever it is. Then there's got to be be the other kind of music that you think sucks. There has to be in literature, in art, in everything. It is conflict. And it doesn't take a philosophical view of it. I've already explained it in the last 45 minutes. It takes conflict. There has to be something in the culture world of course, we know not everybody enjoys painting, not everybody enjoys music, but everybody does something. Well, almost everybody on this planet now has a large part of their life. The more you're in the civilized world, the more you are in the industrial world, the more your life is taken up with cultural matters. As I keep pointing out, it's just got to be obvious to you how little of your life actually is taken up with essentials. Most people nowadays with intelligence, you don't even have to work a 40-hour week to stay alive. And if you know how to play the system of the government, you don't even have to work. And you can eat. You can have a place to get in and out of the cold. So the truth is, if it came down to it, most people could devote a very small amount of time, just a few hours a week, 
And you could actually see to the essentials of life. You could survive. The rest of the time, people spend, because sometimes they call it entertaining themselves, but they're spent in cultural matters, secondary affairs. But that whole world would not exist were it not for conflict. Now, you don't think about people going to war over music. But suddenly, the southern part of the world, if not the United States, tries to secede from the Union, but this time over the matter of music that we've got to wipe out in rock and roll or hip-hop because country music is it. Or those who enjoyed the classical period. And now that it's gone, they want to rise up and do battle on the romantics. Of course, they're gone too. So they would get together and let's attack the 20th centurist at any rate, you realize it's ridiculous, in a sense. But it is conflict. The whole secondary world, if you can see it, is based on conflict. And that's not even my point. My point is back to where I started. All such conflict is based on one thing. It's sustained by only one thing, and that's false thinking. Of thinking about the subject at hand in such a way that it does not match the plain reality of what's going on, and I repeat, I say that you do not have to be awake or enlightened to realize that. That ordinary people can be made to realize it momentarily. It doesn't change anything. They do not benefit from it. Because I've done it, and I know it can be done. Well, it can be done without me doing it. I can see it when it happens. The reality, or if you're an outsider, if you had no interest in the troubles in Northern Ireland or any conflicts going on somewhere between Muslims and Hindus, between Jews and Muslims, if you had no interest whatsoever, then to you, that's why I was saying that earlier I was saying resist, letting your mind jump in and immediately dismiss them both as a group of idiots. But if you're an ordinary person, that would be your general view of it. If you're sitting around and you had no interest in the conflicts between Jews and Muslims, if you had no interest, you had no interest in religion, but you especially you had no interest in that, and you're sitting around with a group of other people, intelligent people, your peers, intellectually and socially, and the subject came up and they were seriously discussing it. And we'll assume that maybe some of the crowd in there were, some of them were Jewish, maybe some had relatives that were uh, Muslim somewhere. At any rate, you could listen to them. And then pointing out the historical basis for it and the, the current view from both sides. But anyway, you could listen to it. And if you had no interest at all, and, and you're aware of the fact, you realize well, how passionate these people are and they're killing each other, it would not be unusual, whether you say or not, that your mental view, your mind would go, you people are crazy. You're simply nuts. Now, this is an ordinary person with no interest. You can't have any interest. You can't have relatives. you just got to have no interest in it, which would be not that hard to find. But people that have no interest in anything normally give it no thought. But if you were stuck there, an ordinary person, remember, I'm talking about an ordinary person now, and they're stuck there with a group of people at a cocktail party somewhere, and they're discussing this certain conflict between Christians and Muslims or Jews, it doesn't matter who. And it's this passionate thing. They're killing themselves, and they're tearing up countries, and whole cultures are on the verge of flying apart and you have no interest in it and you 
but you're stuck there. Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's some people you're trying to do business with. And so for the first time, you pay attention because you feel like you might have to participate in a conversation, let's say. But you start really listening for the first time and realize these people are serious. And they start talking about all the troubles going on that they just had relatives that are killed in landmines. And you would listen, and an ordinary man, intelligent, sophisticated man with no interest in the matter, it would not be, I assume you agree, unusual at all to imagine his mind to himself. He would think, you people are insane. Are you crazy? Have any of you people ever stopped to realize what you're doing? What? Have you ever listened to yourself talk, what you say is a problem? And of course they haven't. You can't. You have to think and you have to talk. You have to form your models, your perception of what reality is, on an absolutely false basis for such conflict to continue because that's the only source for it. I'm trying to resist because I know I'd get a chuckle out of you, but it's so obvious that some of you should do it, and that is I've, I've been refraining from showing you what it would be that people did have their thinking and their words match reality. Do I have to do it for you? Let's go back to the first time that Christians and, or how about Jews and Muslims? How about, we got Jews. We got a Jew somewhere. And it's, you know, 650 A.D. I just have to be loose with these figures. I'm just, I come some way that Muhammad has got Islam going. That there is now a group of people known as Muslims with a new religion a new God, even though uh, he claimed it was the same old God, but a new name, Allah. And so there's a, let's say there's a Jew here, and he's wandering down somewhere in Syria, somewhere, and he runs across this guy, and they meet there at a water hole, they you know, introduce each other, and uh, they get talking, and the uh, second guy asks the Jew where he's from, and he tells him, he says, oh, so you must be a Jew. And they go, yeah, I'm a Jew. And so the Jew says, how about you? He goes, I'm a Muslim. Because I never heard of that. So well, tell me about it. And he said, well, we worship Allah and we have our own holy book here. And he holds it up. And the Jew says, that's not the Torah. He goes, oh, no, this is a new one. This is, this is the real one. This is the, we call it the Koran. This is what, I'll go ahead and do it for you. Now, we could say this one, that's where the conflict started. But what if either one of them, both of them, if what they were going to think and say matched reality? How would, how would it have worked out otherwise? Well, we know how it actually worked out. It ended up, and they're still fighting over it, apparently. But how about if it was this? The Muslim says, oh, no, it's not the Torah. You're right. This, this is a new one. I know about the Torah, but this is the Koran. You never heard of that? And the Jew goes, no. He goes, well, this tells you what Allah wants us to do and how we should live. And the Jew says, yeah, but we already got that. Jehovah, or Yahweh or whatever it is in Hebrew, he tells us here, we already had this, we've had it a long time. You know, this is it. The Muslim says, well, you know, I hate to argue, but this is the one, we got this one straight from the horse's mouth. Muhammad got this from Allah. Muhammad, in fact, is not 200 miles from here, he's still alive. And the Jew's about ready to pull out a dagger or to go get his family, like, we got trouble. But what if his thinking matched reality? He didn't have to be enlightened. 
the Muslim says, now, nah, here's the real one. I, I know about this Torah thing. I've heard about that. You know, and this, your God. But this is, here it is. The Koran, he holds it up. The Jews about to get mad. About to start all the trouble. And suddenly the Jew, just with ordinary thinking, he realized that he was about to get mad. Like, hey, look at that. And he thought, wait a minute. I'm walking around here, me and my family, believing in fairy tales. And here's this guy, and they got another fairy tale. And I was about to get mad and offended because his fairy tale wasn't the same as mine. And he thought, how silly of me. And he would have shut up. Or maybe he said, uh, looks like a neat book. And I'll see you around. Because he'd have thought, what the hell am I getting mad for? Just because my favorite one is Sleeping Beauty, and it turns out his favorite one Cinderella, I was about to hit the guy. Am I out of my mind? So it wouldn't have taken a third disinterested party to go, are you people crazy? If they would just, if anybody involved would simply look at what the reality is. That is, this guy held up a book. It didn't say the Torah. In fact, he says, it's not the Torah. This is the Koran right there, it says. It says, uh, and this comes from uh, Allah. It's the God we believe in. Of course, we know how it ordinarily goes. The Jew or anybody else, he goes, wait a minute. Now he's offending Jehovah. He's offending my God, the real God. And he's offending the real holy book. They can't do this. I'll have to kill him. But if he stopped me looking, wait, wait a minute. Here's a book. A book is a bunch of words that came out of a human's mind, and they wrote it down. And he points out and said, this is the word from Allah. And the Jew, of course, at first wanted to go, wait a minute, I don't know what you're doing. Don't point up there. Up there is Jehovah. I don't know what the hell you're... But if he could use his mind, if he did not engage in false thinking, and he realized he was about to get mad, he would also realize, am I crazy? Am I insane? This guy had up a book, and I was about to get mad. And then I was about to re really get mad when he said, and this came from Allah. And he pointed out where my family goes, Jehovah. But if he simply looked at the physical reality, there's another human going from Allah. And the Jew thinks, and he thinks back to his people. Now it takes somebody, you have to just use the mind as this, he thinks back to all of his family, all of his friends, all the Jews back where he comes from, and they all, on holy days and other occasions, they all go, praise be to Jehovah. And when he's there in the midst of it, he goes, yes, yes. But if you stand back and you look at the reality, you don't have to make fun. It's not a matter of being sarcastic. You simply look at the reality of the situation. There's two humans staying out there in the middle of the desert somewhere. To me, being in Syria is being in the desert. Anyway, out there in the middle of nowhere. And one guy pointing at the sky, and this other guy in his mind going, wait a minute, don't you be pointing at my sky where my God lives. He's about to get mad, and he simply looks at the physical situation. Two little ants out there in the middle of this desert, and he's about to reach for his knife because this guy pulls out a bunch of papyrus, a bunch of stuff written on it. He came, he came and read it. It's in Arabic. But the guy just says, well, this is from Allah. And the Jew says, what's an Allah? He goes, that's God. That's, that's the supreme being up there. 
And the Jews about to get mad until he realizes, am I insane? That is false thinking. But you understand, you know, it has nothing. You, you know, I'm not talking about it's false theology or false belief. It's false thinking. Doesn't matter. I could have done politics. It's false thinking. It is the human mind saying and saying to itself that it believes that which is physically, which physically does not match reality. That is the only way. Or that is necessary. Not the only way, but it is absolutely necessary for the cultural world, for man's secondary world, for the world that is unique to man. That is absolutely necessary. To put it crudely, which I'm going to pick up Wednesday, what I've been building up to for last week, it's back to the thing that I'm going to present to you in a new way that I think may, I trust will be a benefit to some of you differently. It's the inability of the mind to tell the truth. Not by my definition, the inability of the mind outside of essential matters to tell the truth about the world it created, the cultural world. It does not do it. But I'm telling you beforehand tonight, the point was, if it did do it, that world would fall apart. That world can only exist. There can only be Protestantism, as long as there's something for it to be in conflict with. And it can be in conflict with something only if the participants of it and whatever opposes it, whatever's in conflict with it, Catholicism, Islam, Judaism, only if the participants engage in false thinking. If, only if they will think in such a way that it will not match the physical, plain reality of what's going on. So in other words, Christianity, all religions based on a lie. But not in the sense of God exists or doesn't exist. The whole cultural world is based on a lie. If you can't eat it, screw it, or sleep in it, it's a lie. That's real crude. I don't guess I had to point that out. Well, I meant even cruder in another sense. It's really, I'll refine all this Wednesday. Instead of saying it's a lie, if you can't have sex with it, eat it, etc. In other words, if it is not directly connected to physical survival, then what it exists, whatever it is, politics, religion, arts, the whole cultural secondary world, it exists only through the courtesy, only by way of the human mind not calling things as they are. There is a difference to me. I know what I mean. The difference between that and a lie. Because the mind does not intend to lie. I just don't want anybody to get distracted. You especially couldn't say that to an ordinary person. You couldn't tell a Jew or a Christian or a Democrat. That, well, you understand the only reason you're doing that is because you're lying. Not that. The only, way, the only way that you can be a Christian, a Jew, a Democrat, a socialist is for your mind not to call things as they are. For it to engage in thinking that does not 
properly reflect the reality of what it's talking about. The reality, physical reality of the situation that it's describing. The only way that a, that a Jew can be a Jew, the only way that a Muslim can be a Muslim, is for them to describe Islam and Judaism in a way that does not match the physical reality of what they're saying. I don't mean some metaphysical sense. It simply does not fit. An outsider would walk in and listen to it. And I say an outsider, someone with no interest. And if they walked in and listened, I said, just go in and listen to this and then come back out. They went in and listened, come back out. And I said, what do you think? He said, they're crazy. Yep. Of course, again, that's crude. He would say, well, what they're saying does not match the facts as I saw them. I went and observed the situation, as you asked me to before I came and heard this, for what he just said. And I could say, well, he's the leader. He's their spiritual leader. He's their political leader. He is their main apologist. He's the primary, he's the most respected philosopher of this movement, whatever it is, and the activity in the secondary world. An outside observer. The disinterested part would go, well, that's even more amazing, isn't it? Because I went and looked at the situation before I came here, like you asked me to, and I heard him describe it, and what he just described doesn't match the situation. That's not what's going on. But the mind must do that, or it wouldn't keep going on. Well, I used up all my time. I used up part of your time. I used up time that we could have taken up a collection and sang another hymn. But now it's too late. That shows I'm not a Protestant. Because it's never too late to take up a collection. Wait a minute. That shows I'm not religious, doesn't it? That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.